What is up? My name is Ben Hilsinger, and you are listening to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. Today's guest is Sarah Thauer, a Toronto-based freelance drummer, percussionist, pianist, and overall badass with a style consisting of a unique blend of jazz, Indian, world, and funk-style drumming. She's one of my favorite drummers to watch, literally, because you can't help but notice the enjoyment on her face, and her love for improvisation is a true testament to her capabilities behind the kit. Her playing blows my mind, and I was really excited to have her on the show to dissect the top five drumming moments that shaped her style. Her positivity and approach to navigating a career in the music industry is something I've admired for quite a long time. Please enjoy my conversation with the incredibly talented Sarah Thauer. All right, we're here with Sarah Thauer. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I know that you were doing, you had a full day of playing music, so I appreciate you still taking the time. So I know it's late where you are right now, so you rock. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Yeah, so we have you on to talk about your top five drumming moments or, you know, drumming experiences that really kind of shaped who you are as a player. And yeah. before we get into it, how would, this is a question that I, have trouble answering myself maybe you'll be better at this but how would you describe your playing yourself so i'll give a quick story about my background which i feel that has influenced me today so growing up being self-taught um you know i'm i'm a 90s kid so i grew up in an era where whatever your parents would bring in the house was the only stuff you had access to like cds and dvds and cassettes so growing up in a family where indian music was kind of the main music that we listened to my father being a musician i was only exposed to indian music that had percussion as the main force of rhythm in the music and being a lover of drum kit but studying percussion from a self-taught angle and then hopping on the drum kit and being like, okay, how do I hear the tabla, like an Indian percussion instrument on the drum kit without having any sort of rules like what's a paradiddle, what's stick control? So it's pretty interesting that the technicalities of the drum set were included very later in my life. And then I always say that I feel like I've lived two lives. The first life was this whole self-taught um, listening to percussion and world music and just being creative on the drum set and then going to university, then getting into like hardcore jazz, hardcore fusion, being introduced to gospel, hip hop. And now I feel like I'm at a place in my life where I'm kind of colliding both of the worlds together. So I feel like that's kind of the sound that I think I have. And it's very interesting that I get this comment that Sarah, you have such a cool sound. I'm like, what do I? I can't even tell that I have a, a sound. So it's it's interesting that people hear that. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I do think you have a great sound. I will echo them. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I asked isn't because I didn't know. I love your playing. It was just, I always have, I struggle when people say, so what kind of drum, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, I have no idea. It depends on what I ate for breakfast that day, if I'm going to play right. hard or soft, or if I watched some Nate Smith video and I'm like, well, I'm going to try <laughs> that technique for a week. And right. um, when you went to college and then they started focusing on technique and all the more technical stuff, was that, yeah. did you have to kind of like take a big step back or did you just easily incorporate that into your playing? 
So it's pretty interesting because I was having this conversation earlier today with some of my friends that when I applied to music school, I got rejected from every music school. Like Berkeley rejected me. Musicians Institute rejected me. Every school in Canada also rejected me, except for this one school called York University, which is in Toronto. And they gave me like a scholarship called the Oscar Peterson Jazz Scholarship, like $40,000, and this covered my entire tuition. So I'm thinking that, okay, all of these schools are rejecting me because I don't understand how to read a, a snare etude, or if someone says Cuban, you know, tumbao or whatever, I don't know these terminologies, but there's this one school that believes in me. So one thing that I, I always felt less than when I was in university, because I feel like I didn't understand the terminologies, or when someone would ask me, who are your favorite drummers? I would say, my favorite tabla player is Zakir Hussein, or my favorite percussionist is Trilo Gurtu, and I would give all these references where they're like, no, like, it should be Buddy Rich, or it should be, and so I feel like I then I told myself, okay, you know what? I'm gonna do my own history le lesson so I can catch up to everybody. Um, did that answer your question? I'm hoping that answered your question. Well, I'm good at not really giving <laughs> questions. I just kind <laughs> okay. of have meandering thoughts and then stop and then hope okay. someone picks up where I leave off. Uh, <laughs> so I think yeah, it was just yeah, it was more of like did the technical stuff really affect your playing? Because I'm self-taught as well. Just grew up, right. you know, playing in my dad's records. And then when I really started dissecting, and I was getting gigs, I was a professional yeah. drummer. And then when I really started being like, if I want to have a career in this, I better start actually thinking about how it works ergonomically. And then I had to yeah. take, I mean, I felt like it was day one again, you know. Yeah. So I was curious if when you when you go to school, if that really is that kind of like, oh, crap moment. You know? So, you know what, it's pretty funny because a lot of the Indian music it has a lot of genres within so we would have a lot of Cuban music inside of Bollywood Indian film music and I remember mm -hmm. I went to my first Indian sorry my first world percussion drum set and percussion course and I'm like hey prof like check this cool conga Indian groove out he's like Indian groove he's like that's a Cuban mambo groove I'm like what so oh. it's like yeah so it's like there's this awareness of all these funky or Cuban or Brazilian grooves, but not kind of linking the terminology with it. Um, I even remember, like, there's a lot of these Indian, Indian grooves that I've talked about, like the Kerwa, which I've talked about, a drumio and a bunch of stuff, where it's like this groove where the backbeat is on the uh of every 16th note. So I remember that my reference was, okay, this song is more tight, and this song is more loose, and this song is more straight. Then I remember that when I started talking about this groove in an academic setting, I'm like, wait, this is swung 16th, or this is straight 16th, and this is down the middle. So it's just kind of like putting the puzzles, the pieces of the puzzles together. That's great. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, let's just hop into... The five. And I was going to say, uh, well, I'm going to say, I will say, uh, yeah. because you were so busy today, I actually just yeah. got your top five, which I love because I right. actually haven't heard them. And so yeah. I'm excited. This is uh, people listening. I'm going to hear them uh, the same time you are in real time. So yeah. let me and I just have to open say, these. Like these, it was so hard for me to choose. Oh, I'm thinking like if I just choose these five, I'm like excluding everything else that has played such a major role. So, <laughs> which which kid is your favorite? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So this is like amongst the thousands or hundreds of records and stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's fun to see how people a explain themselves like you just did and be like. Yeah. By the way, I mean, a lot of people do have honorable mentions. So if you do have some at the end, yeah. we can always you know water those. I'm not. It's yeah. called Big Fat Five, but I think we've stuck right. to five. 
um, none of the times. So it's okay. <laughs> okay. It's just a, it, it's alliteration. The title sounds good, but it doesn't have to be like big fat 11 doesn't sound as good. So uh, <laughs> we'll do, I'll click on this one. Okay. So the drummer for this one is Alvin Jones. And like, it was hard for me to choose a specific minute marking because for me, his playing has been so inspiring, especially on this track where he's playing in three. And I'm a big fan of theme and variation. Like you have a, either a time signature or you have a foundation of a groove, but you're adding improvisational elements around it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he's big on the three and the triplets. So like even like just the first minute of it, like you can hear so many over the bar line of three and so i just love this track so much each limb seems like it's talking or interacting within each other so it's i think it's so fascinating great let's pop it in so it'll be my favorite things by john coltrane playing jazz in high school and junior high so I heard this when I was like 12 or 13 but I I couldn't like give the formal explanation of what's happening I would say like Elvin's vocabulary is something that I really love like everything that he does I would say him and Tony Williams like Tony Williams and I didn't include any of his music or anything that he's played on but like just to touch on him a little bit like sure. his left foot hi-hat like has changed my life in terms of that and Tony Williams' speed and really pushing the boundary. And for me, Elvin is all of those things as well, but he's very like just melodic and like, I just love his phrasing so much. Yeah. When you talk about left foot hi-hat, are you saying just the stomps or just playing with it and kind of uh, doing different hi-hat length openings, like, you know, an eighth note length or a 16th note or like, what do you mean by that? I would say eighth note just is just going like whenever he's playing swing it's going jing, 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 jing. so like i've been shedding my left foot for like maybe two or three years now and the fastest right now i can do is like 170 bpm or 180 i can push 180 bpm at eighth notes with my left oh foot. oh my gosh but yeah Jeez. i'm working on it <laughs> i posted this cover called morning rush to uh black suit music one of their amazing shed tracks and i think the okay. track is at 160 bpm you can find it on my youtube or instagram and it's 160 and i'm just like pounding the left foot i was like getting cramps on my leg but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's one of those things if you don't use it you lose it i mean that has to be a, yeah. a conscious effort to continue that yeah tony and elvin like the whole independence thing in coordination like they've influenced that area of playing for me even if you put your hi-hat on either eighths or quarters or on the ends mm -hmm. um yeah and like doing other things with your limbs it's like hard but it's so much fun and liberating too sure sure yeah Hey y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. 
And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye so all right what's uh yeah what's number two so Quadrant 4 from the album Spectrum by Billy Cobham. So I've been, a, I don't know if it's Cobham or Cobham. I hope I don't get in trouble for not knowing how to pronounce it. I think it. you're fine. I think it's okay. like everyone says both, so you're fine. Okay, <laughs> yeah. good. I've been such a fan of his playing because it's very, like it's rock, but it's jazz. And it's like the billion toms and the double kick. And especially this song, I believe that he's going duck, 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 duck with his feet. And what I love about this is that there's such a catchy melody that you like an average listener listener can gravitate towards so it's like even beyond the drumming i find but like the jazz and rock is like my favorite combination sweet i will yeah. uh drop it in right now And it's that power. Like, I love powerful playing. And he's, like, hamming it out on the snare. And then I love cymbals, too. And you can tell, like, he's just, it's awesome. So expressive. Yeah, no, uh, I think one of the first things I heard from him was Stratus. Yeah. And uh, which I think maybe I've heard the I heard the massive attack their kind of version. They stole, they, they didn't steal. They used that bass line, the doom, 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 doom. And then I listened to Stratus, and there's that big... Uh, basically it starts off with a drum solo and i remember that there's a few times in that drum solo that he messes up you can tell his like sticks hit the rim or they hit each other and as a kid i was like they just let that pass and then now when i listen to it i'll almost look forward to those little little mistakes because i'm like if he can do that and they they let that pass it means everything else that's amazing that he is doing he actually did because yeah. if they, you know, if they were so precious about everything, they would have fixed that. So it just makes yeah, the mistakes make your not mistakes ten times better. <laughs> and I love that era, like the Billy, the Tony Williams, the Elvin Jones. It's like so raw that it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be carbon copy perfect. Every moment has to be so crystal clear. Like there's that kind of gray area of exploration and not being afraid to explore. And I I just dig that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Was when did that come out? Do you know off the top of your head? 
oh, I have no idea. But a like long late seventies, maybe. The drums sound very stylistic. I mean, Billy definitely on that yeah. record. They're very, they're very um, uh, clean sounding, yeah. very crisp. You know, yeah. and uh, uh, speaking of his cymbals, I mean, that's a very specific sound for that. But yeah. um, anyway, so yeah, you you were talking about his bass drum. So what about yeah. his the his kind of approach to bass drum did you take away? So like keeping that going and doing other things with your hands mm-hmm. and i've always wanted to get into double bass drum but i've been a little bit intimidated so <laughs> i've actually pl- decided that during quarantine i'm gonna like set up two kick drums and like binge watch <laughs> billy Copham videos i love to hear someone like you say that you're intimidated by something it makes me feel better <laughs> you know because i watched you it's funny I, I always try and like play along to some of the drummers stuff before i get on and i i tried to play along to your stuff and i'm like she's just too good i can't even try to <laughs> you know because at least i'm like oh when you do this thing it's hard and i'm like i'm just gonna say everything you do is hard so um so good job <laughs> but that's funny you're intimidated by that i'm sure you'll yeah. kill it so um, all right. Anything else you want to say about Mr. Mr. Cobham Hobham? He's just a huge influence on me. I just yeah. like, I absolutely just adore his playing. So yeah. even like just the way he goes around the toms and like, it's just a lot of toms. And I just, I love that. It's the drum set is not just a timekeeper. That's like one of the many things Yeah, I see him play. So I dig that. Yeah. All right. So number three, Chris. Dave, I think this is his latest release. Um, everything of his has changed my life. Like he's just the pioneer in everything with the the big fat snare, the deep snare. Sure. Um, Thanks for the name drop, by the way. I appreciate I was gonna that. Say, <laughs> big fat snare. Nice. Drum, I'll send the check later. <laughs> <laughs> um, the displacement, like the hip hop stuff, you know, uh, the stack, the Istanbul stack that I, I feel like he really uses a lot, and which I've started to use because of him. Um, but this song especially, it's just like a very cool vibe again with the two and four, that sound of a clap, but playing around the two and four and the different accents that he does. And he plays with a percussionist, I believe his name is Frank Mocha and how the percussionist and the drummer sound like one, like so musical and tasteful, pocket strong, but with improvising around the pocket, like unreal. Yeah. Sure. When you, uh, well, let's listen to it and then I will ask my questions. it like the reason why i use the spiral stacker like the the big symbol that hangs is because of him and you know like he has yeah and he has the bongos very like so percussive in his playing um and i just love how the groove is very through composed like it's not like a loop constantly repeating it just shows how much you can do to a groove yeah when you are playing songs in the studio i mean this is a great example of what i'm asking about do you consciously think of auxiliary percussion while you're doing it because with your background of you know that's kind of where you started do you consciously think about while you're playing i would say like before i would see it like a percussion but now i see 
a hi-hat as its own voice, the kick as its own voice. Or sometimes I'll be like, how can they complement one another? Maybe you, you know, stop the snare on the floor. Mm, do, do, bats. You know, so like thinking very like each sound, each limb has a voice. So more like that. Sure. I mean, that's the proper way to do it, <laughs> which I wish I could do more. Um, uh, speaking of writing parts, I mean, I've watched it many times, but most recently I watched your Zildjian live performance. Mm-hmm. Blew me away. Um, and so I was also watching your interview with Aaron afterwards. And when it comes to that, do you guys write it day of or day before? Okay. So mine, mine is very interesting. Um, I think everyone, we get it like 10 days before or something. So Sput, the music director, he's a genius, fantastic drummer, fantastic keys producer, everything. So he sent everybody their song and he sent me my song. It was amazing, obviously. But I just felt like, Sput, man, I want to do something more expressive, you know. And then he was on tour, I think on a boat somewhere with Ghost Note. And he's like, okay, we'll have to figure it out the day before. So I arrived to LA. Everybody has their song. It's the day of rehearsal. Everyone's like kind of worked out their parts. And I'm feeling like, am I going to get fired? Like, I'm just thinking that they're not going to have me play. And then (laughs) what happened was that we're jet lagged. We get there at like 9 in the morning. I said, like, let everyone do their performance. And that's what they recommended as well. So everybody went and rehearsed. And I think it ended up being, like, one in the morning. And we're sitting there, like, okay, Spot's like, what do you want? I'm like, I want something in three. So he sat by the piano. And the genius that he is, he went, I'm like, okay, cool. He's like, what else do you want? Then I'm like, I want something in seven. Then the band came in. Then he fully arranged everything the night before. And then the next day, it was kind of just like, go. Do you get intimidated when you have to write that quickly? Or is that something that is kind of your bread and butter? I don't know if this is a flaw of mine, but I hate being super prepared. Okay. Because I feel like I'm a very in the moment improviser that I feel like if, so let's say if I'm practicing to a song, I'll be like, oh, I like that idea. Oh my God, I like that idea. Then I go the day of and I'm like, oh yeah, I have to do that idea and that idea. And then it becomes like this whole mental game and I feel like I'm not in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I just don't like rehearsing too much. But the only thing was with that day, I I was nervous because everybody who's anybody was there um so i feel like i didn't play my best i felt i feel like i could have done much better and i feel like if i had a day or two just to sit with it and kind of had and my symbols were falling like my boom stands were turning around and aaron spears and matt griner had to keep like and i'm just like this is a disaster i'm like what is happening so i remember after i finished playing i'm like did I even play? Like, what happened? Then when I listen back, I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like, it was way worse in my head. But I still feel like I could have done, like, better. But we're all our own biggest and worst critiques. So, yeah. Hey, guys. We'll be right back with the show. But I wanted to talk real quick about Waves Audio. I use an endless amount of their plugins, including the Vocal Writer for this podcast. And for my drumming, I use the SSL channel, Abbey Road Saturator, CLA Drums for that easy, quick, polished sound, and, and many, many more. We're an affiliate member, and if this show brings you any sort of value, please kick the please kick. <laughs> please click the link in the show notes to make your next purchase. It supports me directly and helps keep the show going. So alright, now back to the top five ways to make soup. 
Uh, was there a certain, I mean, did it take you a while in general for you to be able to listen to yourself play drums? Because I still have trouble sometimes. There are some days I'm like, man, I killed it. And some days I'm like, if you give, if I have to hear playback one more time, you yeah. know, I'm going to walk out of the studio. Yeah, uh, man, I still struggle with that. Like um, this recording session that I had Saturday, it was like a 16 hour day. And mm -hmm. it was like a live off the floor recording and it was like hip hop, rap, rock kind of vibe. And it was the drums were really carrying everything. And they were playing it back in our ears as we were like recording. And I'm like, oh, this sounds pretty sick. But now if someone sent it to me to kind of hear, I'd like cringe and start getting anxiety. So I, I still have a hard time listening to myself because I'm a very, I'm a tough critique. So is it the tone or is it the the timing? What is it that you don't like? When you do have those days, what don't you like hearing about yourself? So I would say it's two things. Okay, so I'll back up a little bit. Um, so growing up with the whole percussion thing, when you play music that's from a third world country, like no one's walking around with metronomes or click tracks or laptops. So mm -hmm. like I personally didn't grow up playing to a metronome. It was mostly to records based from percussion. So uh, when I was in university, I started playing at a gospel church, like full on gospel music with clicks and metronomes. And I was like, oh my God, my time sucks. And yeah. I was like, I couldn't keep up with a metronome. And then I started realizing afterwards, as soon as I got very comfortable with the metronome and the click tracks, that some music, like the folk Indian music or world music, it calls does not call for click. And then some of the R&B tight gospel stuff calls for the click. So it's like you have to be in a different headspace depending on what you're doing and when you're doing it. But anyway, so now I, I became so obsessed to improving my time that now I can hear when I slow down by like half a BPM. I can hear when I speed up by one BPM. So my ears have become so sharp. So when I hear myself play, I'm like, yeah, like I can hear it. So I listen for the time and then I listen for, I don't know if it's clarity. I would say it's mostly intention. Cause sometimes I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to go for it. And sometimes when I don't care and I go for it, something bad happens and I'm like, oh crap, maybe I shouldn't have done that. So it's like for those moments to like, how clear was that or how intentional was that? So like those two things I would say. Sure. And I don't mean to make it, I don't mean to always ask like, what do you, what do you hate about yourself? It was just, <laughs> I think one of my favorite podcasts is Armchair Expert. And he always talks about not everyone can uh, relate to the successes of everyone, but everyone can relate to the things that they want to work on. And because everyone yeah. uh, deals with that. But uh, yes. it's, again, I think it's, it's awesome in a optimistic way when the people yeah. that uh, you view as flawless in a lot of ways struggle yeah. with things. So it's good little Good little lesson. All right, so number four. Okay, so this one, I'll, I'll give a bit of an explanation. So Rangalo, the artists are Ashit and Hema Desai. They're from India, from Gujarat. So that's where my ancestry or the culture that we follow is from India and Gujarat specifically. Mm -hmm. And so this album, this is kind of like how, you know, you have, you know, Michael Jackson or Whitney Houston's or jazz standards that everybody knows in North America. Mm -hmm. Like these songs are songs that everybody covers in India or Gujarat specifically. Um, and this album, these songs are the first songs that I ever learned as a kid. These are the first grooves and beats that I played as a two-year-old and a five-year-old. <laughs>
the percussion on this record is the first percussion that I ever played. So like, and these melodies are the first melodies that I ever heard as a kid. So it's like so, so dear and near to my heart. Um, And what I love about this record, and it's a continuous record of like an hour and something. And it's, it's a dance. It's related to a, a, a dance called Garba and a festival called Garba, uh, Navratri. I posted a video, I'm wearing this like crazy big nose piercing on Instagram and YouTube playing to an Indian track. And it's for this specific fest festival. Okay. And this festival, there's like thousands of people dancing simultaneously uh, in circles, everyone's dressed up. And on stage, there's like 10 percussionists and a couple of drummers. And it's this whole celebration that happens 10 days in a row. And it's nonstop, as in like the music does not stop for three hours. And I believe that my my endurance on the drums got so good because every year as a kid, like for a couple of days per year, we would play three hours straight. I remember this one time I had to pee right before we started. I had to hold my pee for two hours. I'm not kidding. It was the worst time of my life. But it's like the sacrifices that you have to make to keep the beat going. It's like if one person stops, like it's over. But anyway. True professional. (laughs) <laughs> I know, right? Too professional. That's, yeah, that's how they make them right there. <laughs> it's true. And I remember, like, I spoke about the Kerawa, the uh, do get it, do get it, do get it, like that beat. Mm-hmm. It's all over this record. And this record goes from 4-4 four, four to 6-8 a lot. Um, so I kind of learned of diving into the three and getting into the four with smooth transitions. So it's it's an amazing record. Yeah. So that has to have given you such a, a confidence in timing from such a young age because m- me i grew up like my first record i honestly think was in sync's like self-titled record so i could do like some max martin 4-4 like pop stuff and then yeah the first time i heard a 5-4 time it was just like i give up it's pretty crazy because when you see kids in india you know it's like this is normal like mm-hmm. everybody listens to this and there's even like um in different cultures they dance in seven they dance in five and nobody's putting i feel like in north america it's all about labels like if something is a genre or if something goes to a different time signature everyone goes oh now we're playing an odd time signature but yeah it's like, odd it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's like when you start, I feel like when you start putting things in categories, then it sticks out like a sore thumb. Whereas when you make this stuff a part of your regular routine, you just kind of all, you include it into what you're doing. So I feel like Indian music, the 6844, it's like, it's it's no biggie. Um, Even to go a little bit deeper, there's a word called tal or talas, which means rhythmic cycle. And um, it's both in the North Indian system and South Indian system of classical music. And tala means rhythmic cycles. There's a bunch of rhythmic cycles and 16 beats and 12 beats and six beats, 10 beats, whatever. And there's one very popular one in the North Indian system and it's called rupak. And I talk about this all the time. And it's in seven. And it's so cool because there's so many Bollywood songs in this tala and this rupak tala and seven and everyone who's like tone deaf like does not understand music can vibe to the song in seven so like i'll just quickly you know beatbox it a little bit so it's like one two three kunt, kunt, ba, ta, ba, so it's like you really think of it in a very groove and in a very inclusive way rather than thinking odd time is there and four four is there Growing up, how incorporated was the, because the drum set itself is a pretty American invention. Was that pretty incorporated into your, into your style of music um, or your, 
your country style of music when you were growing up or were they resistant or how it, how'd that incorporate from your experience? It's very interesting and it's weird to say, but I never heard like drum kit, like a, like how Dave Weckl or Steve Gadd plays on a record until I was like seven. Well, well I listened to Miles Davis and stuff when I was 12, but okay, I guess consciously, I never like listened to drums on a record until I was like 16 or something. So for me, as weird as it sounds, it was weird for me to hear drum kit very prominent on a record or like on mm. a Tower of Power record. For me, it was all dholak, tabla, dhol, mrindlingam, gatham, like all these percussion things. So I grew up in a very unorthodox way. It was literally you hear percussion constantly and I would sit and play percussion for hours and then hop on the drums. Like that was it for me. All right. So yeah, what is your number five? Okay, so... For me, I'm a huge fan of Terrace Martin because he embodies everything that I kind of want to do in terms of stylistic things. So mm -hmm. he, like, I don't know, but like produces, works with Snoop Dogg, works with like mainstream artists, but then tours with Herbie Hancock and like heavy jazz weights. So I'm a big, I'm a music nerd. I, I'm a drum nerd at heart. I love the technicalities of music, but then I love the simplicity of vibe, melody. So he's like, he embodies it all of what I wanna do. And um, this song, it's like this shuffly kind of beat. And I believe Ronald Bruner Jr., one of my favorite, favorite all-time drummers is playing. And he's playing like the shuffle. But again, it's the whole like, he's very aggressive in the way he plays. He He's very musical in the way he plays. Whereas when he's playing the shuffle, he has the backbeat going, but he's accenting like the upbeats and the fill. Maybe not landing on the one. At, um, putting the crash on a weird place. So it's... It's like my favorite, favorite song. And the melody is so catchy. And it's it's just like the melody just keeps on repeating. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's like Ronald is just kind of experimenting. So it's like the average listener can also kind of gravitate towards it as well. Okay. What is this left hand doing? It almost sounds like brushes on the on the snare, or it could be on like a really kind of old school vintage hi hat. What what's he doing with his hands? I think it's like he's just his ghost notes are deadly and very tight. Both of his hands are like deadly and very very clear. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like hi hat and snare somehow. Yeah. So what is there a little bit of a backstory on Ronald Bruner? I haven't heard of I, I unfortunately and again I always say this on the podcast. This is why I have. That's why I have this theme because I always hear music I've never heard before. Yeah. Unfortunately, and I get so mad when I there's amazing drummers and I've never heard of them. Did you find him through Terrace uh, Martin? No. So I've been a fan of Ronald since he played at Modern Drummer Festival. What was it, 2006 or something like that? Wow. Okay. And I think he he's like a full on prodigy and I think he opened the show and he played Proto Cosmos and like he it's on YouTube and you can find it. It was unbelievable. And his brother is Thundercat. Like their, their family is like extremely talented mm -hmm. and he plays with Kamasi Washington. Now, um, he, I think Mac Miller as well. Like Mac Miller was on his album as well. So oh, wow. 
Yeah, yeah, like he's and he played with um, Stanley Clark, like Herbie Hancock, like everybody. He's, he's amazing. I love it. Well, that's the top five. Did you have any? Uh, I know we had talked about there's thousands that you didn't, uh, you know, name drop. But is there any one yeah. that through these talkings you're like, I, I need to include them? You know, I would say anything by Tony Williams is like mm. unbelievable. Um, it's the, again the whole jazz, but the rock, and he's like really, I, I think really pushing the boundaries of like in an era where I feel like now fusion and fusing things are really common, but I feel like back then there was still some stigma and it was not very popular. And I feel like I, I read somewhere that I can't remember what album it was, but one of the albums or what maybe it was his de- debut album that he released that he got a lot of backlash for it because it was different. But now it's like one of the albums that go down in history and I can't remember which one. But anyway, any of his albums are amazing. Um, there's another album, Dennis Chambers, Victor Wooten. It's like their latest album and I cannot remember the name. Like that is a crazy album too. Um, yeah, music is, they're all so good. Everyone is crazy good. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, one of the first episodes of this podcast was with Jim Pettit from Memphis Drum Shop. And he told the story of how he held a clinic with Dennis Chambers. And that clinic, uh, they, they, they brought in some of Jim's own guys. And Dennis was like, okay, they better be good. And that was the clinic that he first met Victor Wooten. Wow. And yeah, and like they were kind of vibing that whole time. And, and so Jim's kind of like, I, I started that friendship there. So <laughs> I did want to talk to you. So not only are you creative, uh, you know, with the drums and cymbals, but I, I, I saw the video of you for Evans Drumheads. It was perca- a percussion test subject ST001. Yeah. That was a really, really fun, <laughs> just vibe of that video. It's, you know, very dystopian and very Stanley Kubrick style. It was in the very beginning, you were doing the fills on the toms, you know, and, and kind of detuning them with, with your elbow. And then yeah. before you kind of went to your sticks, you smacked your two toms together. <laughs> yeah. Where what yeah those those kind of create like creative decisions where do you think those stem from um i think that stems from the whole percussion thing Mm -hmm. like if you go to my youtube channel sarah t drum guru and if you go to the videos in 2009 and 2010 you'll see like the first era where like i did covers to like daft punk for example or like lady gaga and i had like five screens of different percussion and for the daft punk one i had three congas i and i was very theatrical i pushed the the piano chair that i was sitting on out of the way i banged the congas together i was like putting my face on the congas to mute the congas and like doing like crazy things so it it really started from percussion and uh, I know, you know, a lot of your videos I see you have you have more drums than I do. And uh, but I remember I, I I'm not sure if we met at Nam, but I was at the Big Fat Snare Drum booth and you uh, were walking around with your backpack and you sat down because you wanted to check out the junk hat. Yeah, and they their right. little their little booth was like, I think, a Rogers bass drum, a snare drum and then the yeah. junk hat. Yeah. And I remember uh, you you were just going crazy on <laughs> Uh, technically a two-piece kit and uh, I mean if anyone can make that sound good it was uh, you know I applaud you so <laughs> thank you that was really fun yeah Nam seems like 9,000 years ago uh, I know right <laughs> so yeah. it's like I just saw you play but technically I didn't but I did <laughs> anyways <laughs> um, anyway so you did talk about your YouTube channel but if yeah. uh, for some reason someone that lives under a rock that's listening to this doesn't mm-hmm. hasn't heard you or seen you play do a little self-promotion, uh, and then and then I'll let you go because I'm sure you are exhausted from how much you work today. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can follow me on any social media at Sarah T. Drum Guru. And you'll find a lot of stuff being posted. And I have some albums and some music coming up. So stay tuned for that. It's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show, Sarah. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. All right. Have a good one. You as well. Take care. And that's the show. Be sure to check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at BigFatSnareDrum. The audio you're hearing was edited in part by Isotope RX8 Audio Editor. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Cheers.